Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It is October 12th and we get a full slate of topics to talk about today. We are joined by Wormhole from the Llama Risk team and then we also have Adamus coming back to help us with some Arbitrum updates. So welcome both to you. Hey guys, yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks uh, so, for having us on. So Wormhole, this is actually your first time here. Uh, Castle Cap, yep. uh, Adamus, you're back. Again, for your second time, uh, Ormal, you run the the Lamaris team. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing over there, just so people kind of have an understanding of uh, the great reports that you guys are putting out. Yeah, um, so I guess uh, just a little background about Lamarisk. Uh, we started um, in late 2021, um, and it was really a community-led, grassroots uh, kind of organization that came out of Curve. Um, in response to some uh, a particular incident, it was uh, uh, Moki uh, USDM, uh, which was um, a bad actor. Uh, pretty definitively, every everybody in the community sort of agreed that this was um, improper behavior, and they sh you know they were doing some things where they were passing votes based on uh, um, offering airdrops or bribes to people. And uh, in the aftermath of that, we sort of realized we need to be we, we need to have a group uh, that's dedicated to kind of looking into different protocols that are integrating with Curve. Um, and so Llama Risk sort of emerged. And over the years, we've um, developed into like a really great team. So we're probably about half a dozen analysts now. And um, we're on a regular basis. We're uh, interfacing with the different DAOs and protocol teams that have pools on Curve and are integrating with Curve in different ways. Um, we're trying to keep uh, Curve's LPs safe. Um, we're trying to make sure that DAO voters uh, for Curve know what they're voting for. So give everybody transparent information as much as possible. Um, and uh, I think today we're going to be talking about um, tangible USDR, uh, which was one of the protocols that we um, we, we reviewed earlier this year, uh, the, earlier in the spring this year. Yeah, so actually we are going to talk about USDR today. So yesterday there was a, we actually reported this on stream that tangible, Tangible's USDR uh, had depegged. It had fallen off. It had come down from a dollar all the way down to about 50 cents. And it had done it in quite a quick fashion. And essentially the protocol had run out of die reserves. And uh, just to back up a little bit, and let me bring up the uh, screen here. Tangible, Tangible's USDR was a RWA backed stablecoin where it was a mixture of both die and some other protocol owned liquidity plus a little insurance fund, but mostly backed by real estate. And the idea was that uh, real estate is a yielding asset. And in their words, over time, uh, the price of real estate goes up. So it should be a quote unquote inflation resistant stable coin and what they called better money. Uh, they had it so that all USDR was redeemable for die at all times with a 25, 25 basis point fee. And uh, they expected that they had enough capital buffer to facilitate redemptions and prevent a bank run. Well, that was the case up until yesterday when 12 million die was taken out of the uh, capital buffer and then there was nothing left. So people started dumping USDR on the open market and the price has crashed. So if I bring up this picture before we go into the, uh, the llama risk 
uh, you can see that the collateralization yesterday was made up of four things. So uh, the real estate constituted about 60% of the value of USDR, followed by a mixture of protocol-owned liquidity, including USDR itself, that constituted about 23%. Then they had an insurance fund of about $6 million, uh, which was another 10%. And then on top of that, they claimed they were over-collateralized because of their governance token, uh, which added on another $13 million. And so all of this kind of collapsed, right? Because as soon as the, the die was gone, uh, and the insurance fund had been tapped out. Really, there was nothing left except for the real estate, which is now being held, and then also their governance token, which can be assumed to be worthless. Uh, and now the real estate uh, is going to either have to be uh, divvied up between the holders who are left, uh, or it's going to have to be sold off, probably at a discount, and they're going to have to pay taxes on that as well too. So that will have to be discounted significantly lower than what it is now. Uh, we had some a great thread by uh, Weismer Hill, and he had this uh, nice little thing here. Let me see if I can make this a little bit bigger. Uh, I can't make this bigger, but he he essentially uh, had fair value of USDR at 29 million, which was where the 50% price is right now. And the reason that we wanted to have the Lamaris team on today was that back in April, you guys had done a very expansive report uh, into USDR. And I'm just going to scroll down here to the bottom. It's a very good report. It goes very deep into how all the contracts work. Uh, but the conclusion towards the end was that, and I'm going to quote here, Tangible has several built-in mechanisms to support the peg of USDR. They have conceptualized a promising method to assure that USDR holders can always redeem USDR for something of equal value. However, most measures are still new and not battle-tested, and some are fully centralized. Especially in the case of a bank run, it's questionable whether USDR can hold this peg. Moreover, the project introduced multiple dimensions of additional complexity and potential weakness through its WUSDR token and multi-chain integration. These factors do not contribute to the safety of USDR's peg stability. And we'll just leave it there. So very prescient to what happened yesterday. It's too bad nobody listened and they amassed $65 million before losing the peg. Yeah, that's a really thorough uh, introduction to the whole um, USDR saga. Uh, this this was um, a very interesting one to cover um, because uh, the project that they've built isn't really a fork of anything else. So so it is really uh, quite a unique project that took a lot of building blocks from other um, successful flywheel strategies. Uh, such as Frax's AMO, um, it has algorithmic components. When you look at the uh, the backing composition of USDR, they they uh, emphasize the the real estate backing. But you can you can see by looking at it, it's composed of a, a bunch of different uh, things: the the POL, the, the um, protocol on liquidity, uh, the the die. Um, and ta tangible, their own native token. So it's partially endogenous. Um, so they've they've tried to construct a system that would be able to be uh, liquid in all foreseeable circumstances. Although um, th the fact of the matter is that uh, the, their real estate backing is a very illiquid asset class. Anybody can see that. 
Um, and if they if it pushed came to shove and they had to liquidate, it's going to be a difficult process. It's going to take a long time. Um, and it would probably lead to some kind of situation like we experienced recently where um, uh, there was a serious DPEG and there wasn't really any immediate way to arbitrage it or um, to alleviate the situation. Yeah, they're, they're essentially a, a, re, a real estate investment trust that is issuing a liquid debt token at near 100% uh, LTV with extreme duration mismatch. And we don't even have to like look in crypto to see where these issues have risen before. I mean, we only have to go back 15 years to 2008 when we had this exact sort of issue happen within banks, right? And, and even in uh, Silicon Valley Bank, just a, a couple of months ago, uh, we had a similar situation, but uh, on, a, on a different type of asset, or actually I think Silicon Valley had quite a lot of uh, uh, mortgage-backed securities on their books as well, too. But uh, the the thing that I've learned from stablecoins, and I think this was echoed by the the blue chip team in a tweet that they put out today, is that you know if there is any sort of illiquidity on a stablecoin's balance sheet, it it exponentially raises convexity uh, and and risk. And, and if there is any possibility of a bank run that will happen in the future, people are always going to find it and exploit it because they understand the, the money that can be made and also the risks that, that's there and that they need to be the first ones out so that they're not bag holding uh, like everybody who's left over holding the USDR tokens today. Um, and, you know, and just to give uh, credit to the, um, to the tangible team, this was not a risk that they were hiding. Uh, this is something that they directly said was a possibility, um, even back when they were uh, making their gauge proposal on Curve. Um, they, uh, they disclosed that not only was this a risk, but it was something that had happened before. So back in March, uh, March 11th, when um, all the, the world was falling because uh, USDC was um, insolvent for for a weekend. <laughs> um, uh, a, a lot of other stable coins were affected, and USDR was one of those. Um, and during that event, uh, and th and I'm just re reading off of um, the proposal that they made to curve uh, for for a curve gauge. Um, they uh, they saw redemptions of uh, USDR for all of the die in their reserve until there was no more die left. Um, they were on the verge of requiring to issue um, a P die, which is their IOU for in the future when we have come up with the liquidity, we can pay you back uh, one die for one P die. Um, so they, there was discussions at the time that we're, we're going to have to mass uh, issue PDI in order to maintain stability um, and create a PDI die market so people so it's liquid people can can uh, trade in and out of it. Um, but ultimately, that ended up being a very short term uh, um, issue that uh, that was resolved, you know, um, by the next week. Uh, so they never ended up having um, serious repercussions from that event. And um, they, I think they got a, a slide because there were a lot of stable coins that were affected um, and it wasn't, it wasn't primarily a, a USDR uh, related issue at that point. Um, but it did, it did, you know, show that this, this was something that could happen and it in fact did happen. 
Yeah, and you had also uh, had a, a thread on the forum, uh, this was shared to me by Dio yesterday, about pausing the USDR uh, AM3 curve gauge on Polygon. Um, Whatever happened with that vote? Did they did they pause uh, those emissions? No. Um, so when I made this proposal, I was trying to be uh, very cautious to slowly kind of seed this idea that we weren't um, comfortable with the the level of risk presented by USDR, um, and I didn't want to immediately put a, a vote on chain and kill the gauge. And the reason for that is because at the time, uh, USDR was very, uh, um, I don't want to say dependent, but they, their strategy revolved heavily around uh, bribing their uh, USDR um, three-curve pool. I think it was paired with three-curve uh, on Polygon. So they were, they were bribing um, somewhere in the order of $100,000 to $160,000 a week in that pool. Um, and if we were to uh, kill the gauge on them, uh, they would have spent all that money and we would have been like, okay, we're rugging you for everything that you spent on it. Um, I, I, I had reservations about uh, where the money was coming from that they were using for bribes. Um, I've, I've never really gotten to the bottom of, of that completely. But uh, I since I knew that it was um, such a big part of their strategy to have this curve pool and incentivize it, we needed to kind of gradually roll out the idea that we weren't so happy with it. Um, and so that that proposal was part of the kind of let let the Dow know um, what we've found and what we're concerned about and to give the tangible team a heads up that that was the direction we were moving in. Ultimately, this uh, proposal never went to a Dow vote because um, the tangible team of their own accord uh, decided to move their liquidity to another exchange. I think that um, as a result of what they perceived as hostility, and I think um, to be fair, we we were uh, we were kind of hostile towards them. Not that we had animosity towards the team or uh, or anything. We were really looking out for the well-being of of Curve LPs in the DAO, um, but we couldn't get around the fact that, you know, it's, it was sort of a, a hostile action to take, um, to try to push a protocol off of curve. Um, yeah. well, in hindsight, it was the right thing, right? Because, you know, maybe you can get into a little bit more about like, when you talk about trying to keep LPs safe, uh, through these curve gauges, uh, you, the, you could have killed the, the gauge. They could have still remained on curve. So like, what's the, what's like the ultimate, uh, outcome that you're trying to use with these llama risk reports uh, is it is it just to like stem the flow of incentives from the uh, from like the curve DAO itself or is it to prevent LPs from uh, taking undue risk and and leaving them in a situation like they are now today with USDR well I, I think um, ironically uh, our our goal with with our reports is more to build stronger relationships with these teams that we're reviewing mm -hmm. so so it doesn't seem like it maybe because we often take a critical view um of of the protocols and their design and the uh the risk vectors that we find within them uh but actually we're 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 trying to use this as an opportunity to uh build a dialogue with these teams mm -hmm. um, to help 
them see what what maybe from a certain bias, uh, um, you know, it's their 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 baby. They built this thing, so maybe to give them an outside perspective, we can help them to see what the weaknesses are. And most of the time, we do, we do actually have a, a really warm um, uh, experience working with these teams. You you might not not think it considering like the the angle that we're coming from. Um, but, but with, with our reports, we're trying, we're trying to build stronger relationships, uh, between curve and, and these, um, other protocols in this case, that didn't exactly happen, unfortunately, um, because of the, what we, what we perceive to be, um, an undue level of risk, uh, in inherent to the protocol design. Um, and so in, in this case, um, our, our, uh, primary goal was make sure that everybody knows that this is an undue risk. That's that's our primary motivation. Um, and then anything beyond that uh, becomes a matter for the DAO to decide what's appropriate to deal with. Yeah. So just to uh, wrap up on the tangible stuff to talk about what the team is doing next, uh, the USDR stablecoin is now 84% collateralized. Uh, if they mark the tangible token and the insurance fund is zero, uh, they do have some protocol and liquidity left, but that is primarily in USDR. Uh, they're going to be transferring all of their real estate into what they call baskets, which are like uh, essentially pools of, of real estate that they're going to distribute out to USDR holders uh, on a pro rata basis. Uh, if there is no demand for these real estate tokens, they will start to sell off their property and then uh, return funds back to uh, USDR holders. Uh, the USDR token is going to be deprecated and will no longer be used. And the tangible team wants to focus on just tokenized RWAs going forward. So yeah, well, uh, <laughs> It's I, I I mean I I just get a little incensed at these situations just because th this is the type of like easy ammunition that we give to regulators to point and say hey look like you know this like regulations would have solved this we could have presented this this definitely wasn't a stable coin uh, and I I don't know I, it's 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 just a little frustrating um, you know at the, uh, at the before city, we uh, mm -hmm. oh go ahead no go ahead Garrett. Oh, before we wrap up on this, um, are there other pools that you and the risk team have your eye on, like pools that you think might be one of these like warning signs that LPs are ignoring that you'd like to take the moment to like warn people about? Um, well, I I suppose uh, the one that immediately comes to mind um, is uh, I I think that they just recently did a gauge vote. It's um, the the staked USDT. Pool. Uh, I don't want to say that it's um, that the that it, that it's bad and you should stay away from it, but uh, I, I would want to emphasize that there is very very little known about um, the team that's operating it, which has a there's a high level of trust associated with the team. Um, the all of the off chain components. Uh, so sorry, just to back up a second, what uh, staked USDT is? It's a real world asset protocol. So you deposit stablecoin and you can mint uh, staked USDT. And then um, that stablecoin that you deposited is offboarded and then that is used to buy uh, short-term treasury bonds, according to the team. Uh, 
Um, but there's very, very little information out there about what happens to your money once it's offboarded. Uh, we know it goes to Hyobi and then because we can see that on Jane, but then after that, uh, there's no information about the, the legal arrangements, the custodians, uh, what kind of assets are, um, are actually being purchased with your money uh, and what kind of legal rights you have to recoup your money afterwards. So when you, when you want to redeem. Um, so I would just say, be very cautious about this. Uh, we, we've been looking at several real world asset issuers, including uh, Ondo, um, which issues OS, um, uh, USDY uh, most recently. Uh, we've looked at Matrix Doc, which is issues uh, STBT. Um, and these, these issuers, we find, put a lot of emphasis on trying to be regulatory compliant and, um, and give as much information as possible to their users. Uh, by comparison, when we look at staked USDT, it's a black box. Um, so I would just be very cautious about putting your money into anything that is a black box. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our next topic for today. And what we have, uh, Adam is from capital or castle capital here to talk about, uh, and that's the arbitrage voting. We are 11 hours and 34 minutes at the time of this live stream from ending. And overnight, a bunch more votes came in. I think yesterday uh, we had on OX Saitama from Dopex, and they were sitting at 160 million votes. Now they're breaking almost 200 million votes with many more projects now passing. Uh, we have a current allocation of 72 million Arbitrum, which is 22 million over the proposed cap. Uh, so... Adamist, maybe you can walk us through like what happens when we get to the end and we have, I don't know, 80, 85 million ARB that's been allocated out for this first round of STIP grants. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> I just shared um, a link to you guys on, on the side as well. Maybe if you want to mm -hmm. push it on, on sure. the comments or, or open that. It, it shows how the cutoff works. But yeah, essentially, now we have... Um, way oversubscribed four votes so we're currently at about 70 million of our has, has passed already um and only 50 million can go through so essentially how that works is only the um the the most projects with four votes are, are being cut off here so yeah as you can see the current cutoff is a is 111 million four votes so the problem's not about quorum anymore like we thought it might be at the start um, we've got lots of teams at Quorum, um, but um, now we're seeing, yeah, it's just uh, who can get as many four votes as possible. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, like bigger projects that have just uh, probably won't make it at all. I mean, looking down here, Lido is below the, the cut, uh, Ramsey's, and also uh, Synapse as well, too. So, uh, yeah. That's the, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen some controversy around some some protocols here and there. Um, Lido themselves actually came out with a 12-month proposal, uh, even though it was a three-month program. And even after receiving that feedback, uh, still didn't change their proposal. Um, so, uh, I you know, if they if, if they had made a three-month proposal, I'm sure they would have got a lot of support. And the support that they have got, you know, is still pretty good because mm -hmm. obviously people want state to eat on it on arbitrum yeah you know when i look at this list it's 
it really shows the kind of core Arbitrum products. Like when I think of the Arbitrum, the brand, like the the protocols that are at the top, like Dopex, Camelot, Pendle, and and GMX, Umami, uh, you know, Mux as well too. Uh, those ones are all very Arbitrum focused. Have been since with Arbitrum since the beginning, and are not uh, specifically cross chain. Uh, so it seems that like if you've been in Arbitrum for a while and you've been building for a while and you've started to attract users and help Arbitrum grow, you're reward rewarded for that. Yeah, definitely. That's it. I mean, in the absence of like a framework that um, the DAO has to use, everyone comes up with their own framework. And then obviously, you know, our voting power generally is in the hands of Arbitrum native delegates. Uh, and they are obviously going to favor people that have enabled, you know, and helped build the ecosystem. So currently we do have quite a top heavy um, distribution of, of our voting in these delegate hands. And to be honest, a lot of delegates uh, and our votes falls within protocols themselves. So even just looking at the top, Dopex, Camelot, Radiant, GMX, you know, Umami, Mux, Plutus, these guys, Jones, they, these guys all have quite a lot of voting power themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they were giving out the the large airdrops from the initial uh, from that initial like run that they had. Uh, that obviously helps, but you know, again, they they received those airdrops because they had attracted users from the beginning. They had built and they had had been on Arbitrum for. Uh, essentially becoming the incumbents on the system. I'm, I guess the, the, the people that are right around the cutoff, well, I, I have two questions here. So first is, uh, it looks to be that the 50 million ARB that was laid out for this STIP grant, uh, like the first round, uh, is gonna be fully used up. Like what happens in the second round? Will there be any more ARB available? I don't think so. No, the, the, you know, the way it's laid out is there won't be any ARB left or there'll be what 140 K of ARB left or something yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, no, unfortunately. Um, yeah, we thought there might be another round two based on how slow it, what we were getting to quorum, but no, it doesn't look like that would be the case now. Um, mm -hmm. and we're essentially just gonna have to run this dip, um, collect data and analyze how we can improve these frameworks. And then we can have like a real, grant program launch probably in Q1, Q2 next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how everything's played out. I mean, some of uh, the bigger players, obviously Curve down here, uh, hitting quorum, but only getting 45 million votes. Uh, Wormhole, I know that you'd been working on that proposal. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons that would had been given for, we can't actually see here. Let me, let me just shift this. So Curve's down here at the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons I think that was given for Curve's lackluster uh, success in this voting period was that they had received uh, like 3.7 million ARB in the airdrop, but had yet to distribute it to it, their DAO members. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm disappointed by the results. It was uh, it's been a hectic um, few days uh, trying to um, garner the support that we need, and um, and it was uh, it, a markedly uh, controversial proposal. The the curve one, I I saw um, a lot of support on from some people and a lot of uh, dissent from others. Um, uh, which is reflected in in the uh, the voting. I think it's like a third for, a third against, and a third abstaining. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, but I think um, what we're going to end up doing is, is Curve has a lot of uh, stockpile of, of ARB from the airdrop. So um, we're going to go ahead, I think, with the basic plan of the proposal, which um, which is to deploy Curve USD pools onto Arbitrum and start incentivizing them with ARB to, uh, to encourage uh, migration of Curve USD over to Arbitrum. So that that should be ready to go um, in the next, uh, possibly as soon as in the next week or so. And to chime in just a bit here, like one of the reasons that that ARB had been sitting was awaiting the crypto two swap pools to get through audit and officially get deployed and everything, right? Yeah, there's a, a new stable swap implementation that has been in development. Uh, it's been going through auditing during the whole um, time that this proposal was was uh, was live. Um, so, so we we did get some criticism that oh, you have all this uh, ARB that you've been sitting on and you haven't been using it, and it's it's like well, partially that's because we have this blocker of of getting this uh, new stable swap implementation out uh, before we can bring uh, Curve USD over. So that that's kind of what we've been waiting for. And as of my last uh, conversation with the dev working on that, he says that that's that's going to be ready to go this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think it's necessarily about using your ARB as incentives. Like that's by no means will be what the community is asking you to do. It's more about probably being, having like a transparent roadmap about what that ARB's for. And even saying, hey, we want to use our ARB in governance. Like no one's going to have a problem with that necessarily. I think people are more concerned that the fact that it wasn't publicized, what you were going to do with it maybe. And the fact that, you know, TVL and general activity and fees across Curve on Arbitrum have been historically low, that um, it looks like from the outside that Curve isn't that um, invested in Arbitrum, unless maybe you're digging in the Curve forums themselves. Yeah, so I think moving forward, what we're going to do is, is like I said, we're going to start implementing the the plan that that I did lay out in the proposal, and, uh, and hopefully that will end up um, demonstrating uh, to the Arbitrum community that we are serious about um, uh, uh, migrating CurveUSD to Arbitrum and building, um, you know, building our ecosystem there. Um, and then once you have this uh, grant program um, deployed in Q1, Q2, whenever that's uh, going to happen, um, then we'll come back with another proposal and say, like, look, at this is what we've done in the meantime, and, and uh, we'll give it a second shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it probably can work out better for you, you know, Obviously, Curve's an absolute giant, and you know DeFi OG, and there's, you know, there's no chance that the DAO's not going to support like a cute, a massive Curve migration to Arbitrum and support of Curve USD and everything that that brings. Um, and if anything, rather than being rushed in this quick step, you can actually design a a real long-standing proposal that lasts longer than three months. So I was I was just looking at DeFi Llama right now, and notably, I just saw that the largest DAX on Arbitrum, which is Uniswap v3, uh, is not taking part in these STIP grants. Um, I I wonder if that's a deliberate choice by the the Uniswap Foundation, or just no one put up a, a grant proposal for them. But uh, it's very interesting that they just didn't take part in this in this uh, grant round at all. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have to say, I'm not close to to anyone really um, within the Uniswap DAO. I'm not sure who has the authority even to to do that, whether it is the DAO or whether it is Uniswap Labs. Um, mm -hmm. I know they are active on their own governance, and in fact, they've just had a vote around how to use their own Arb airdrop. They're running a um, automated liquidity management scheme with all the different ALMs, um, you know, who uh, manage the concentrated liquidity on V3. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think to be honest, it made things easier for everyone, I guess, without, without Uniswap there. I think they are much more operating now as a kind of, um, you know, a decentralized base layer and everyone else can kind of build incentivized products on top of that. Yeah. So <clears throat> where is the, uh, actually, Adamist, I want to get your opinion on this. Yesterday we had on uh, Win Moon from Umami, and then the day before that we had Corey Kaplan from Dolomite. And we had spoken to both projects about how they were essentially taking the same the same route in how they were distributing the ARB as this this O ARB, which needed to be staked for anywhere between one day to four weeks, uh, and then it could be purchased at a discount later on, uh, and it also required the the people receiving the ARB to also put up ARB as well too. Um, and this, they hoped, would prevent any sort of mercenary dumping and and hopefully keep users stickier to their platform. Uh, do you think this type of system, which these two protocols were using, might become the like the uh, schematic for how the rest of these, uh, like the next season or or the continuation of these stip grants are going to be used, where it's not just outright here's some yield that you can take and, and just dump it and hope you get users but we want you to create a, a bit uh like a different way that people can come in and uh and farm these tokens yeah definitely i think you know just as we've progressed like across the whole uh DeFi space in terms of how we deal with tokenomics um you know from simple farm and dump token to more looking at how we incentivize people to hold on for longer and, you know, disincentivized dumping. It, it's clear that that's going to come into, you know, all sorts of small mechanism designs like we're seeing here. Um, yeah, I think lots of teams will probably kick themselves for not thinking of something similar. But I mean, it's not that simple either. Both these teams are obviously having to, you know, write new code for this. Um, but yeah, I think next time you'll see people offering similar, um, similar proposals just to kind of butter up their proposal. Well, but ultimately, we're going to have to review the data and, and see what happens with both these projects um, and whether or not, yeah, they were able to, you know, create sticky users or, or whether or not, you know, there will be a full analysis, I'm sure, of ARB that got distributed and ARB that got dumped, um, you know, or ARB that got LP'd staked, put as collateral. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see, see how that goes. Um, it's interesting that that came from two projects who are more kind of on the passive like, side, you know, um, obviously a yield vault and uh, kind of borrowing and lending. I'm not sure you'd get perp traders coming to, you know, test out a new perp and if they have to start, you know, locking up their rewards and things like that. Maybe they would, but um, it's a different kind of um, uh, audience, if you will. Yeah. So um, 
Wormhole, this question is for you. Uh, as I was following through the kind of uh, curve grants application, I saw like a number of like very like odd arguments, let me just say, against it. Um, and one of the, like, I won't get into all of them here for politic for political reasons, but um, one of the ones that was like weirdest to me was when they were complaining that Curve hadn't been able to successfully retrieve its optimism grant. And I know you were also very involved in that process. I don't know like how much you could share, but could you talk a bit about like the saga of Curve's optimism grant? Yeah, yeah. I had a feeling you were gonna mention that because <laughs> when I when I saw that one posted, I, it also gave me pause. <laughs> I didn't want to really talk about that on the forums. That I didn't think it was an appropriate place to to discuss that. Uh, another grant uh, on Arbitrum's grant. <laughs> I think you needed novel probably. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that the Optimism grant uh, was a, a very similar kind of situation that um, Optimism delegates. Uh, oh, sorry, I have an uh -oh. ambulance going You're by. After you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a similar kind of grant situation. We made a proposal on the Optimism forum, and we got approved. Uh, that was that was a similar grant where I was um, making it on behalf of Curve, uh, which is a really um, interesting challenge because Curve is a decentralized DAO and uh, grant organizations have a um, an aversion to uh, DAOs, it turns out. <laughs> I thought that might be the case, but I thought if we could convince them that um, we're credibly decentralized, then uh, KYC wouldn't be an issue, but that was perhaps naive of me. As it turns out, uh, KYC is a big issue. You always need to be KYC'd. Um, and Curve could not KYC because you couldn't uh, reliably get all of the key stakeholders of Curve together and, uh, and KYC each and every one of them. Um, so we had to come up with an alternative solution uh, where LamaRisk could become the agent of the grant on behalf of CurveDAO uh, with approval from CurveDAO to do so. Uh, we had to form a legal entity um, so that we could limit our own liability. Uh, and we had to, and we deployed a, a pass-through contract that allowed us to receive the grant and pass it on to CurveDAO without being able to divert the funds. So we we created this whole like on-chain and legal infrastructure to just to be able to accept money from Optimism, uh, which we have done, and we are in the middle of KYC. So it's been over a year now, but uh, we're we're like at the we're at the the very end of this saga, I think. So it's 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 almost there, and it is going to be successful uh, in the end. Yeah, but the Arbitrum grant that you received like a year ago, like no such uh, strings attached, right? Or difficulty, the, I should say. The no Arbitrum difficulty. Uh, I I I'm not sure what you're talking about. I'm I didn't receive an Arbitrum. Oh, the, air, the airdrop. Oh, the. the yeah, yeah so I don't I don't know. I'm not uh, a lawyer, so I don't know what the legal situation is. And I also don't know what Arbitrum's policy is about uh, sending um, grant funds to uh, to a DAO. Uh, but my understanding was the airdrop was a little bit of a different situation because it wasn't a grant. It was uh, a distribution of tokens, perhaps in some kind of legal context. This is a, this there's a distinction there. Um, that was that was my understanding. I didn't I didn't ask questions. I just I just woke up one day and there was ARB in the Curve Treasury. So I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there was no requirements on any on the airdrop of, of any of any kind. Um, you literally could do whatever you wanted with it. Um, 
So the fact that Curve hasn't done anything with it is not a bad thing. You know, plenty of people sold their airdrop straight away. They, we've had teams buying back their own token with their airdrop. So um, it's not, there's no, nothing against what Curve's done at all. Um, it's just um, probably the community wants to see, yeah, a, a direction, whatever that is. And I, I appreciate your feedback, by the way. This is uh, really helpful information. So, so I, there's one other thing to talk about before we wrap up today, and that is the launch of StakeFrax or SFrax. Uh, StakeFrax went live last night uh, with the new yield-bearing vault going up. It's the first part of Frax v3. Uh, it's currently attracted 29 million fracks in the past 24 hours, or not even that, like 12 hours. And it's currently yielding 9.4%. Uh, we saw some great posts from, oh, I just had a, there we go. Uh, there's a nice post from Alunara, who talked about how they were very bullish about the upcoming combination of stake fracks and Curve USD. And the idea would be that uh, you would put StakeFrax in to CurveUSD as collateral and then borrow CurveUSD against it and then go uh, loop it up for increased yields. So I think there was uh, one comment that came in from, uh, let me see if I can find this one. Uh, well, I'll find it here in a second. But essentially, it was, it was talking about how uh, there were significant risks in uh, this wrapping and that uh, the there was issues with uh, like curve USD LPs uh, as this this wrapping grew. So Wormo, maybe you could talk about this upcoming curve USD integration. Have you looked at it all uh, for StakeFrax ETH? Or sorry, StakeFrax? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I can't really give any input on this. I've I've seen posts about StakeFrax uh, ETH, but uh Oh, I, I thought it was a uh, S Frax. Maybe I'm thinking it is S Frax. Yeah, it is S Frax. S Frax. Yeah, uh, I've seen posts about S Frax, but I don't. I haven't looked into it. What what it is at all? So I, I can't really give any insight there. Okay. Um, have you been? A, do, do you deal with Curve USD at all? Um, I would say somewhat. Yes. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> we we look at um, peg keepers uh, recently because we've. Uh, we've noticed that the peg keepers are um, a, a point of potential instability in the Curve USD system. Mm -hmm. um, so these these are the pools that are Curve USD paired with other redeemable stablecoins like USDC, USDT, uh, TUSD. That was the one in particular that we were looking at. Mm -hmm. I, I can talk more about peg keepers if if you're interested, <laughs> but I don't know if that's that's where you want to go. <laughs> oh. Summarizing um, briefly, Alinara's thread slash post. Um, basically, like Alinara is incredibly excited about SFrax, which I'm sure Sam, you could get into a lot more of the details about, like how SFrax worth works. But in particular, if it this or SDI or other like uh, real world asset T bill tokens that are yielding the treasury rate got listed as collateral for Curve USD, then there's the possibility to essentially loop, you know get leverage and instead of getting like the 5% rate, get something like 50% rate. So this is where the, a lot of the excitement's coming from. 
with relatively low risk of liquidation due to the kind of novel curve USD liquidation mechanism. Yeah, I mean, there's always instability that happens when you take on extra leverage like that. Uh, you know, we can say that it's low, lower risk, but really the yields on that will be highly dependent on whatever the, the CRV USD borrowing costs are. Uh, and then, you know, which is fluctuates, there, right? Yeah. 10% then, then you're in trouble. Exactly. And then is there any like systemic stress uh, that would happen if there was if there had to be an unwind at any point? I think that's I think that's really the issue is like what, what happens if you have like a hundred million dollar position unwind? Uh, you know, is is the are the pools going to be able to facilitate that? Uh, will there be significant slippage? Um, you know, issues with the peg keepers as well, too. I have noticed, um, I think that interest rates on, on Curve USD uh, spiked pretty recently, right? Are, they've, they've kind of uh, risen substantially. Um, and I think that's because of uh, the, uh, the peg keepers were finally um, completely drained. Hmm. Uh, for, for a while, there was, there was some sticky um, peg keeper debt in the TUSD pool because TUSD was slightly under peg and that was keeping... Um, I think 7 million uh, curve USD uh, debt uh, in the TUSD peg keeper. Um, and when there's more peg keeper debt, uh, it, it has a tendency to influence the, um, the interest rates to keep them lower. So that, so TUSD finally went back to peg just the other day. And, and now we see that uh, rates have risen several percent um, in the couple of days since then. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, Frax came out with its V3 just a couple of days ago. You can go and read the docs. We'll have that linked into the description. Um, they're going to be releasing this SFRAX product. They're also going to be bringing on their Frax bonds as well, too, which will provide uh, four years of uh, bonds that essentially track uh, you know, short-term uh, T-bill prices uh, for those dates. And then additionally, <clears throat> they're uh, essentially doing away with the one-to-one -one conversion that they had offered before to be able to take one frax out and and get uh like one usd back you can still get one usd you'll just have to swap through curve uh, and this kind of ties into how they're setting up their new frax bond structure and also the, the stake frax uh, vaults uh, so that uh, they just algorithmically create new supply and it's not really tied to anything except the, the balance sheet. So uh, there's no expectation that uh, the FraxDAO has to do anything on the back end. Uh, the, the protocol is just going to work the way it is. And, and the DAO is responsible for trying to make sure that the balance sheet is always in the positive. Can I ask you a question about this? Sure. I saw Stable Scarab on X was saying that the way that this works in particular is that Frax put in 50k worth of rewards for the week. Uh, mm -hmm. What are those rewards that uh, Frax is putting in? And then is like Frax on the side, like investing this and in collecting the 5% in a different account? Yeah. Like, so, how does this work? yeah. So the way that, uh, okay. So just to, just to juxtapose uh, for, uh, if you're going to be dealing with any sort of real world assets at all, you have to have uh, companies or a company uh, that is investing the, the treasury collateral into off-chain assets, which is typically short-term treasuries, T-bills, 
Um, and so if you look at like Maker, they have delegated this out to a bunch of different uh, like RWA uh, investment firms who take their funds and then go put it into various uh, bonds, typically short term, and then return those funds back to MakerDAO. Uh, Frax is doing it a little bit differently. They've set up a one company, which is called FinRes. It's a public benefit company. And what this does is FinRes has one mission, and that is to uh, essentially take the funds that are provided to it by the Frax DAO, uh, and then go and find a yield with it, which will typically do by investing into treasuries. And so FinRes is able to take USDC and also Paxos, uh, I'm sure in the future, or sorry, USD, USDC and then also USDP, which is Paxos's stablecoin. In the future, I'm sure PayPal will be in there as well too, since it's a part of Paxos. Uh, and it's able to receive those stablecoins into its account and then swap those out uh, for dollars and then invest it into treasuries uh, so that it can maintain a uh, positive balance or so that it can earn yield uh, for the Frax DAO. And then all of those uh, yields are then passed back to the DAO. And then the DAO has uh, essentially like decision-making ability to determine where those rewards go uh, and how they're distributed. And so with the SFRAX vault, uh, it's working similar to the way that the Maker Vault, Maker vault worked, uh, where they're starting at a, a high yield at 10%, and then it will converge down to the IORB rate, uh, which is like essentially the federal funds rate, uh, which is about 5.4% right now. Uh, and they'll, uh, they'll match that. So uh, I believe up to $52 million, uh, you'll have this uh, yield that's above the IORB rate. And then after that, uh, it will essentially flatline and stay there. And then uh, hopefully they can grow it quite a bit. Uh, but it's been a long needed product to be able to compete with Maker and these other RWA platforms that are coming in. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And hopefully we see a uh, return of, of growth to, to Frax, which is taking a beating over the past year to its market cap, or not market cap, but like supply of, of stable coins. Mm -hmm. We all wouldn't be here if we didn't enjoy the beatings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I posted yesterday on my feed uh, talking about this tangible thing. Uh, in relation to stablecoin specifically, that the the beatings will continue until we all get Fedmaster accounts. Wormhole, are we going to see a llama risk report on uh, on Sfrax? Yeah, uh, I think definitely. Yeah, we've we've been uh, really interested in this trend towards uh, real world assets. Um, pretty recently, we we covered uh, MakerDAO's. Um, increased exposure to uh, real real world assets in uh, just a, a really short amount of time. I think it was in a, a matter of maybe six months or so their their balance sheet um, became like majority composed of real world assets. Uh, and it's it's kind of amazing because a, a couple of years ago, I, I never would have thought I'd I'd see crypto uh, DGENs trying to flock to short term treasury bonds. But this yeah. is the world that we live in now. <laughs> Well, here, I mean, look at this. So USDM Mountain Protocol went live. It's now live on Curve, and it's the first regulated and permissionless yield-bearing stablecoin on Curve Finance. So they have a gauge? No gauge they, yet. No, they they haven't. Uh, we've we've been talking with them, and they're uh, they're 
um, they seem like a good team. Uh, we're we're looking into USDM right now, and and you can look forward to a report for from us uh, probably in a few weeks' time. See, Very I'm cool. old enough to remember when USDM meant mochi. <laughs> <laughs> was it wasn't mochi where they like they took in like. $50 million worth of CRV. And then it was just nothing. They had absolutely nothing. And they kind of like rugged within a week. They, uh, yeah, their, um, their, their lending platform, they could, uh, uh, they could use their, their native Moki token as collateral mm -hmm. and they could set the, the admin could set the Oracle rate. Uh, so they could basically infinite mint USGM, which, yeah. yeah, which they did to, to rug the pool and, uh, they, they, uh, locked to their governance stake so that they could incentivize the pool to lure more LPs so that they could dump more into the, into the pool. It was pretty, uh, brutal. <laughs> and then they bought $28 million worth of, uh, CVX tokens to yeah, start. And and shortly after, uh, Convex blacklisted them, so they couldn't use their their voting power on the platform. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy stuff. Well, let's wrap up there. Uh, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, Wormhole, thank you for being here. Adamus, thank you for coming back second time. Um, really enjoyed every, uh, the, the analysis. Thanks for having us. Yeah? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so everybody that is listening at home, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Also, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I believe we're on pretty much everywhere where you can get podcasts. Uh, so if you want to come and take a listen to us while you're like, like me and Garrett, like walking on the treadmill all day, uh, you can definitely do that. Uh, otherwise, we will be back tomorrow for the last day of the week. I'm sure we'll be talking about Arbitrum again. It's Arbitrum week. Uh, the votes will be wrapped up tomorrow, and we'll have a very clear understanding of what's happening with the Arb incentives. So... Thank you for being here, everybody. Garrett, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks, we, Garrett. Yeah. And we will <laughs> see you, you tomorrow. All.